21CL Radio. You're listening to the Run Your Life podcast with host Andy Vassar. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Four Times Mindfulness podcast with Neela Steele and myself, Andy Vasley. Um, Neela and I have, uh, we actually started this Four Times Mindfulness series about two years ago now. Uh, I think we've done 16 episodes. We've taken a little bit of a hiatus, actually a big hiatus, um, just due to work demands and, you know, a lot of things on our plate. But one of the things that we love doing is to share our recent learning related to mindfulness and meditation and all of the good things associated with it. Um, so that's what this podcast is all about, just sharing those things. But before we get into the episode itself, I've got Neela Steele here across the table from me, recording live on a Saturday afternoon. And uh, I guess I'm just going to ask her to just catch everybody up with uh, what's been going on in our lives. So Neela, go ahead. Well, we, we recently spent our winter holidays in China and Japan, two places where we have lived before and for our boys, Eli who's 14 and Tai who is 12. For them, it was a maelstrom of emotions because we revisited uh, old neighborhoods and friends and schools and for them although they both had very different experiences because Eli still had all of his friends there and just slipped right in most of Ty's friends had moved on and he reflected saying that most of the things that he remembered were no longer as he remembered them and I think as a family unit for three weeks traveling we really bonded. We went over a few humps where we travel together and it's very intense and we're in these small spaces, but overall we we walk away from those holidays having bonded immensely. And I'm grateful that we're able to travel and revisit old places. Yeah, and when you said old neighborhoods, that's literally... We went back to old neighborhoods that we lived in for many years in Japan and China. And in Japan, we actually went back to our old neighborhood that we lived in for five years. And we were friends with our neighbors, our Japanese neighbors. Um, they would look after Eli and Tai uh, when Eli and Tai were very, very young. They were among the first ones to come and visit Eli and Tai after they were born. And we went back to their house looked at old photos of Eli and Ty when they were young. Uh, we had dinner with the family, bonded with them again, and it's a mixture of speaking Japanese and English, but a lot of really special feelings and, and emotions. Uh, same thing in China, going back to our old neighborhood and our school there. Uh, it's very special, and we really do feel lucky having lived in five different places, um, Japan, China, Cambodia, Azerbaijan and now Saudi Arabia and, and creating this tapestry of, 
of memories and experiences that really have shaped who we are and who we're becoming. You know, so to, to move into the Four Times Mindfulness podcast, it's about Neela and I kind of sharing our learning. And uh, today, Neela has prepared for this podcast. I don't know what she's going to talk about. She's going to share two things that she has learned recently or two things that have resonated with her and I'll do the same as well and then we listen to each other and we kind of dig into it a little bit and we just share our learning and it's a digital history of our own learning journey that hopefully one day Eli and Ty will listen to but also for any educators out there who value uh, mindfulness and meditation and the benefits that can be pulled in from uh, really embracing those things so um, I guess I'll just let Neela start off the the episode sharing her first seed of mindfulness. So to begin, I'm going to revisit a book that I read quite a long time ago, and the book is called What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, and it's by Laura Vanderkamp. And I think coming back from the holidays, we said we had three weeks off and the luxury of traveling, but I really needed to redirect my energies coming back to our regular routines. I I wanted to recalibrate. And in order to recalibrate, I remember having read this book a long time ago that Laura Vanderkamp has this spreadsheet and it divides um, 168 hours into 15 or 30 minute slots. And for the first part of it, you simply record where you are spending your time. And it, for me, for the mindfulness connection, I think it just brings an awareness into how much time you are actually spending on everything right down to, um, sleeping habits, uh, how much time you spend on social media, how much time you spend reading or cleaning, whatever it is, but it really brings to light first and foremost the the awareness because uh, I've probably said it and I've heard other people say it and colleagues say it, I don't have time. And yet when you start to record the time that you've spent watching Netflix or maybe even uh, walking the dog, it, it, it really just brings to light the areas that you can um, chop up or delete or uh, reduce the amount of time that you do that. So, And on her site, uh, Laura Vanderkamp, you can easily download the spreadsheet to take an assessment of where you're spending the time. So I wanted to, uh, you know, as the month of January is, is now finished, but for the month of January when we returned, I really wanted to redirect my energies and set goals for myself uh, health-wise, work-wise, family-wise, relationship, um, me time. And so uh, this little assessment really just helped me because I, I really wanted to measure where my time was going and how I could alter that and be mindful of the way that I waste time or spend time. So 
I want to make sure that I'm really valuing the things that I believe to be important. So when you say 168 hours, uh, that's the 168 hours in each week. Right. Right. So, so you first just assess one week. Right. Which and, 168 hours. Yeah. And then you, you break that down and you look at where your time is most spent. And I guess when you, when you look at it that way, you can really find patterns and in finding patterns, you will see what's not serving you so well. Right, right. right. And where you, where we are, in fact, wasting time. And I, I did note a lot of areas that I could improve upon. Yeah. So, in- and then to add to that, it just takes away from you being mindful again in in that moment. Because I like to, if somebody is listening and is not really sure about the definition of mindfulness. The one that I always return to is the definition by John Kabat-Zinn, and that is being in the moment, the present moment, with a particular attention. And it is bringing into this moment a non-judging, curious mind. So if you drop into that over and over again as a practice, you would remind yourself that whatever it is you're doing is that um, even if you're present in it, is this really what I value or what I want to be doing right now? Or is this just wasting my time? And when, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that when looking at your time, what is it that you value the most? You know, and are you doing it? And you can quickly see the patterns that might identify that you're not actually doing the things that serve you best. Yeah, and it it, it also connects to procrastination, which is easy for everybody, I believe. I know this, there's some people who maybe procrastination isn't, they're so driven that that isn't an issue, but I believe even the best of us can divert to procrastination. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is okay sometimes if you're yeah. trying to figure stuff out. Yes. And you're trying to reflect and, and just figure out the best path. But um, if if you value it, you'll spend time doing it. Mm-hmm. There's no question. And we can sometimes make up excuses that we don't have enough time. But that's very different than actually valuing something. And if you value it, you'll spend time and invest time in it. Right. So I think this is a great activity to to just kind of just, as you said, put on a spreadsheet, you know, the breakdown of the week and, and to really look at the patterns that exist in your life. So Yeah, and I'm not saying that you have to be doing all the time, but that you are investing in those moments where you are being mindful, even if it is a mundane sort of chore, but you're actually aiming to be present in that moment, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yes, yeah, and you could possibly highlight what the things that, there's a lot of things that you could do with it, but in, in looking at the spreadsheet, you could highlight things that don't serve you mm-hmm, well. Absolutely. And then the next week, just try to minimize that more, not get rid of it, but just to minimize it you know, and focus on the things that serve you. Right, right. And and again, going into little celebrations, little celebrations when 
Uh, if you are measuring the time that you've spent on something, say you've been on te- you've been on Facebook for ten minutes, then I would celebrate. If social media, if you wanted to decrease the amount of time you're on social media and you weren't the following week only on it for nine minutes, then there's a little small mini win. Yeah. And uh, for the second seed of mindfulness, as we move on for Andy Vasley, uh, what would I, that be? Yeah, uh, something that has really resonated with me over the past couple of weeks is the work of Martin Seligman, who's from uh, Pennsylvania University. Uh, he's a positive... He's a human. He studies human psychology. He's considered to be a, a kind of a positivity psychologist. Okay. Um, who's done loads and loads of research into positivity and the impact of positivity on the human brain. Okay. Uh, I, I have known about him for years, but kind of forgot about his work. Right. But Has he of, written several books? He's written several. Yeah, yeah, definitely several books, but... Um, one of the podcasts that we listened to is Finding Mastery from Michael Gervais, uh, where Michael deconstructs uh, the habits and routines of very successful people. And um, he's Michael Gervais is really into mindfulness and, and meditation. And out of all the people that he's interviewed on his podcast, some very high-achieving people, a number of them, um, like 80%, 80 to 90%, embrace mindfulness and meditation to some degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martin Seligman um, has done work in particular on that idea of positivity and setting our mind uh, to be more positive and to create a positive framework in which we operate, you know, uh, kind of like the software that, that we run every day. And you know, there's this idea that as humans, based on evolution, the way we're coded is that we're always coded to look for threats. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to uh, ancient days and looking for threats in our lives and looking for what's not working well and just looking for for the bad, fears, whatever it is, and that we're, we're programmed that way. And we can't help it. It's just our DNA, the way we're programmed. So to override this default setting that we have to actually, as Martin Seligman says, be researchers of good and to scan our life for the good. And when we do this with regularity, his research, this is not bullshit, like his science and research has conclusively shown that if you do it for even seven days straight, where regardless of, of how bad your day was or how good your day was, whatever it is, if you actually take the time at the end of each day to scan for the good and, and forget what didn't work, but to scan for the good and to record it either in a journal or, or to talk about it with somebody, that it actually has a impact on the brain. Um, so this has really resonated with me. As a family, we created a chalkboard wall where we created a chart where we have our boys, Eli and Ty. We did it last week only once, but we're going to return to it and try to do it more regular regularly. Um, but it's not just identifying what's good, it's also identifying the emotional component that makes it good. So, such as? Such as, 
um, let's say somebody, uh, a colleague, uh, brought you a coffee out of the blue. Yeah. And let's say you had the worst day ever, but you remember at the end of the day, yeah, today wasn't very good, but I do remember, you know, I, I recall my colleague bringing me a, a nice latte. So you actually record that my colleague brought me a nice latte and then in parentheses you write the emotional component that that represents mm -hmm, for example mm -hmm. kindness or generosity yes whatever it is so Seligman's work says you have to identify at least three things that have been good that okay. day and if you do it for seven straight days it can have a impact on actually recircuiting the brain and creating new neural connections that allow you to grow the skill of scanning for the good in your life. And obviously the long-term benefits of scanning for the good and looking for the positive has a profound impact on our well-being, socially, emotionally, physically, yes. cognitively. Yeah. So that's been something that has really captured me and, and uh, last week I shared it with our grade four teacher, one of our grade four teachers, Donovan Hall, his class, um, and I went in there and did a short presentation and we used the windows of the classroom. It's a very open, airy, light classroom and on, on the windows of the one wall, uh, I gave each student a little window pane, like kind of a, a little square that they can record these ideas on uh, on a daily basis. And and are they following through on a daily basis? Yes, so what are. have some of the examples been of the students They've writing? They've been great. They've been like one student said, uh, today was great because I collected rocks with my friend. Okay, great. And then so simple. In parentheses, yeah. it was like joy. And, yeah, yeah. And then somebody else had, had gone out and played soccer with a, another friend and really enjoyed it, and it was friendship. Right. And it's just, it takes constant work, but to override the default setting of looking for what's not working and complaining and casting judgment on our day as being bad, right? you actually force yourself to scan for the good. And it's actually rooted in research. And Michael Gervais from the Finding Mastery podcast actually uh, challenges his professional athletes and these high achievers that he works with to do it for 30 straight days Wow! in the field of combat, you know, regardless of win or loss, to go through the process of what was good mm -hmm. in the game, what mm -hmm. was good in the battle and the competition, and to change people's mindsets and to ha help them create an atmosphere of being much more positive and to look for positivity rather than our default setting of looking for the negative. So that's my second seed of mindfulness. I love it. I love yeah. it. I think um, it reminds me of the Kurt Vonnegut quote, which is, if this isn't nice, what is? So in Saudi Arabia right now, the temperature is divine. It's about 20 degrees. It's cool and breezy. And we had uh, brunch today at the golf club, and it's just relishing in those little slices of joy because as Andy said you could so easily you could so easily focus on oh well my sausages weren't hot today and the food wasn't served in this way or it is too windy my my serviette is flying away 
all those little niggly things. And really, we don't need to place our attention or our focus there. It was just a beautiful family breakfast with divine temperatures that are not going to last. And for now, it's a beautiful piece of joy. Absolutely. Um, so in moving forward, Neela Steele is now going to share her third seed of mindfulness. So uh, there is a site that uh, Joey Fife actually told me about years ago. I want to say two years ago. And the site is called coach.me. And for the longest time, I sort of, I looked at it and the coach.me provides coaches for everything from fitness, um, procrastination, decreasing procrastination, uh, weight loss, running coaches, life coaches, and there is an abundance of support. And for the longest time, I thought, mm, I don't need anybody. I'm doing this. I'm disciplined. I could do this on my own. All those thought patterns that you have in your head. But I finally got a coach and I love the support that I'm receiving. And I, I think how I'm going to link this to mindfulness is what gets measured, gets done or gets um, improved. And I think mindfulness really links to wanting to create habit change. And if you start teeny tiny so that it is just so easy to change and it's not too overwhelming, then you can slowly start to change the focus and the energy and the area that you want to be mindful of. So with that, there is another mindful leader and his name is uh, Leo Babota. I hope I'm saying his last name right, but he's got a great site called Zen Habits and he actually has a program called The Habit Change. And I think again, it just where you want to bring your attention and focus to or your intention uh, brings it to a new attention, you can create whatever habit it is in your life that you wish to change. So for a while, Andy and I used to meditate, but we meditated in different places in our home. And coming back after our holidays, I asked Andy if he wanted to meditate in the same place. And I realized that my breathing, I tend to do an ujjayi breath, which is quite audible, uh, was a bit of a disturbance for Andy. Because, a distraction, not a disturbance. Well, it's disturbing you when you're trying to, so disturbance yeah. or distraction. So then I completely could meet him middle ground and say, let's, let's meditate together. And so this habit change that happens at uh, 5 a.m. has been really great. We've, we've both supported each other. And uh, just being awake at that hour and accountable and having somebody there physically beside you aiming to achieve the same sort of goal, it has become much easier, I would say. So 
I guess my, my mindfulness point is to seek support and guidance wherever you may need that because everybody, elite athletes, um, all sorts of athletes have coaches no matter what level they are and, and don't, you know, turn your nose up at that because my own coach has helped me immensely and the Zen habit site, I often check and I think again, it's just bringing that lens of attention and, and what are your intentions to, to really lean into those so that you might make those teeny tiny habits to change and, and reach greater, hopefully greater health, greater happiness, greater satisfaction and, uh, delete, delete, delete the things that don't serve you, especially those mental thoughts and that mindlessness. Yeah. And, um, I think just that idea of us, you know, working together on our morning routine, uh, we've devoted, uh, 10 minutes to, uh, mindfulness and we use the headspace app, which is guided meditation, which has been very helpful. And then after that guided meditation, we, we do five mi more minutes of silence where we just kind of continue to meditate that is not guided, but to just to dive into meditation. And, and this leads into my fourth seat of mindfulness, in fact, which is all about really being aware of our emotions, you know, and in being aware of the mo emotions that we experience, it is kind of just letting them come and pass and it's taken me you know maybe 20 days of meditation now to really just begin to get a little just to hang on to that a little bit in the sense that um, as these emotions you you experience the emotion instead of really diving into it and making it a part of your identity you can separate yourself from it knowing that it's only an emotion. It's a human emotion that we all experience. And it got me thinking, so my fourth seed is, is this, is in reflecting on the meditation and what I'm learning from it. I was going for a run, and in the middle of the run, I started to, to think about uh, moments that cause me anxiety. So it might be a, a, an upcoming meeting where I know there's going to be conflict or there's going to be debate or whatever it is. And in thinking about that upcoming meeting where there might be a little debate or difference of opinion, it's easy to think about the anxiety that will arise as a result of that conflict. So it got me thinking about the anxiety that you experience and, and mindfulness really is about staying in the present moment with the, with the emotion but that's not enough because in recognizing that you might experience this emotion then you are also thinking about um, kind of that that the emotion that will arise and then really diving into why that emotion is arising. So what is it about tension 
you know, what is the story you're telling yourself? With every emotion, there's a story behind it. So when you experience an emotion and you're thinking ahead, projecting into the future, thinking about a meeting, thinking about an encounter, there will be an emotion because we're programmed to respond in a certain way. But then it's looking at the story and why it is that, uh, or what it is we're telling ourselves about that situation. So it's being aware of the story. So for example, if you're gonna experience conflict, well, what's the story that you've told yourself about conflict? That conflict is bad, conflict is not good, avoid it. So instead, it's reshaping that narrative, reshaping that, that story and say, what can be learned from conflict? What can be learned from tension? So to take on this beginner's mindset in regards to those experiences so to change the narrative and to change the story and we all have that ability to change the stories that we tell ourselves and in returning back to our favorite podcast or my favorite podcast recently Michael Gervais Finding Mastery he talks about where confidence comes from and confidence doesn't come necessarily from a collective experience of successes confidence really comes from the stories that we tell ourselves and that every day we have the choice to tell ourselves a new story or a new narrative and that's what you know going down the road and I don't have the answers but it's just something I'm mulling over and reflecting on is that when we project ahead and we think about the emotions that we might experience during the day then to dive into not only the the emotion but the story behind the emotion why is it that we will feel this way why is it that we think we'll be frustrated why is it that we we think we'll we'll feel anxiety and then to reshape that narrative and ask ourselves instead of looking at it that way what can be learned from this experience how can we become better as a result of this experience how can we grow and learn individually but also how can we learn about the other people in the room and to honor their stories and their narratives as much as we we are influenced by our own narratives. So hard to do though, because we're so attached yes. to the previous experiences that we had. And it, it reminds me of Seth Godin's definition of anxiety where he defines anxiety as experiencing failure in advance. So it, I just, I agree completely with what you're saying, but it takes a, a moment to say snippet. I'm not going to categorize this as something that I've previously experienced, but as a, a new experience and what are the possibilities? Because I so easily, from my perspective, can go back to a previous experience and say, it's going to be the same. It's going to just... I know this person, this is my relationship with them, it's going to be the same. So it really takes the mental weightlifting and an internal housekeeping to say, no, the possibilities of how this unfolds are endless. What is my attitude? What is my mindset stepping into the physical space of that meeting? And again, breath, 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 breath to calm down to 
tap into the parasympathetic nervous system and, and remain calm. Can you speak more to, again, because this is a strategy that, that is, is very useful, but when you say breath, 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 like people who have no idea or, or who, who are not even aware of their own breath who might right. be listening to right. this, what is a, a practice, a daily practice that you can start out just micro steps with looking at the breath? What can you tell them about breath? and the power of the breath and where they might start by being more aware of the breath and the impact that it has. The, the, the simple pausing of, you know, take a deep breath with me now, inhale slowly. And then exhale completely, completely all the lung capacity breathing out. And just, Find something in your day that you do automatically and that you do every day. Whether it's washing your hands or brushing your teeth or logging on. Pause to take a breath. We breathe, I think it's something like 20,000 times a day and yet we're so unaware. And I have had feedback um, during our meetings, we usually have meetings at two or three o'clock in the afternoon with teachers. And I have the privilege and the opportunity to lead a one or two minute mindfulness session. It's usually half the time spent in silence and um, maybe a guided breath. And one of the breath patterns that I love is 7-Eleven, just like the convenience store. You inhale for seven counts and, and think of you know, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, not a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. But you just slow down. And we rarely, rarely do that. And when I say that at two o'clock or three o'clock in the day, and I say to teachers, maybe this is the first time that you're actually aware of your breath and that you're actually using your full lung capacity to breathe in. And I have had two or three teachers respond and say, yeah, you know what? It is. And that's almost the end of their day. And they've been with kids and colleagues and people and, and giving of their energy all day from 7.30 until 2 or 3. And it's at that very end of the day that they're taking a breath. So however you can drop into your breath more and more, that's an awareness to come back over and over again. And then later on, if you want to delve into more breathing patterns, there's, there's umpteen different uh, ways that you can breathe with awareness. And we can go into that in the next episode. Absolutely. Um, but to, to recap, as we always do at the end of our, our episode, is we go back and we just do a quick recap of the four things that we discussed. Uh, it's been great reuniting with you Neela in our four times mindfulness podcast um, but why don't you share the first seat of mindfulness go ahead my first seat of mindfulness was how to redirect your energies in a new way of being mindful of your time and that was using Laura Vanderkamp's spreadsheet on 168 hours in your week assess first and then see where your core values lay and how you would like to alter how you mindfully spend your time okay 
Second Seat of Mindfulness was Martin Seligman's work from Pennsylvania University to be researchers of good and to scan for the positive in our life on a daily basis, actually documenting it, not just thinking about it, but writing it down and capturing the emotional component of what that good thing was and to repeat that over a minimum of seven days and that it actually has a profound impact on the brain. Number three. Number three was finding and seeking support and guidance in whatever area in your life that you may need it to achieve greater happiness, health, and satisfaction. And I mentioned two sites. One was coach.me, and the other was Zen Habits, um, mindful of our habits and how mindfulness might help with habit change. And my fourth seed was all about uh, being aware of the stories that we tell ourselves in relation to the emotions that we experience. Um, and to to really be open to new stories that we tell ourselves. So rather than looking at potential conflict as being bad, opening opening ourselves to a new story, which is what am I going to learn from this experience about myself and the other person, and to go in with a beginner's mindset and be very open-minded and the power that that has on really uh, shaping uh, all future interactions when we prepare ourselves in the the right way. So, uh, Neela, people can find you on Twitter at? Neela Steele, S-T, it's N-E-I-L-A. I like to tell my students that my name backwards spells alien. But besides that, it's Neela Steele with an E on the end. S-T-E-E-L-E. That is correct. And I'm at Andy Vasley. Uh, We look forward to um, doing this again and connecting with you. Um, Thank you very much for listening to our 17th episode of Four Times Mindfulness. We hope you come back to listen to future episodes. Thanks for listening to the Run Your Life podcast by Andy Vassar. To check out show notes, get some more information about Andy as well as his guests, head to our website, 21clradio.com.